Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss, and it's Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105, and that's not it. Scott Zolak, Steve Logan, Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. It's only been about three weeks, and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at Awaken180WeightLoss.com. Red Sox Beat is back. We're here. It's Josh Lewin. And boy, hope you guys are hanging in and hanging out and doing all the things you need to do from social distancing to staying at home to just treating each other as nicely as possible right now. We've got a lot to get to because last time this podcast dropped, we were just getting to the fact that there was some clearing on the horizon regarding all the Merck with the, the Sox and what's their future in, in terms of uh, what MLB was going to say and do and how they were going to punish him. Steve Buckley, legendary Steve Buckley of the Boston Herald and then the Athletic, uh, boy, 25 years ago with, with, the, uh, with the Herald. And now, obviously, the Athletic uh, has been a wonderful way for him to express himself. We're going to get to a few of his most recent columns, all of which have been appropriately outstanding. You wouldn't expect anything other than that out of Buck. But... See, first of all, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I, I can't believe this is old news, basically. But here we are finally getting a chance to talk about what MLB said to the Red Sox about what they didn't do correctly along the way. Uh, what was your take on, on how the Red Sox were, were looking at that at the very end? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. And as far as old news go, I mean, in, in the world we live in now, uh, this morning's sunrise is old news. You know, it's, it's things are so instantaneous, and uh, I think the uh, Red Sox situation. I don't think will ever be old news to the degree that it's going to be debated for a while. Certainly, when 
when the teams get back together again and we have games and we have access to players, I think a necessary question that will be asked to the individual players, and we're talking hitters here, of course, not, not pitchers, but um, what benefit, if any, did you get from what was taking place during the 2018 season? Now, we do know that something took place because uh, Major League Baseball took away a second-round draft pick from the Red Sox, and uh, the quote-unquote low-level employee, and I hate using that term, but that's what seems to stick, uh, Watkins, who was doing the video, he's the only one that, um, the only individual that got punished. And we, we know he was getting information for players, and yet the players were granted immunity. And when I say the World Series was tainted, uh, it doesn't mean it was any less fun. I'm not calling for the, the, the banner to be stripped like they do in the NCAA. And uh, I enjoyed the 2018 postseason. I love the drama. I love the drama of baseball in the postseason. I'm not taking it away, but what I'm saying is it, it meets the textbook definition of tainted. If you look up tainted, it means that there's something sticking to it. There's, there's something there, and there is something there. So uh, let's be, be grown-ups about it and recognize that there was an issue there, and that's where we are. I think that's very well said. And you know, if you go inside the numbers, maybe it's coincidence, maybe not. But for what it's worth, the, the team OPS with runners in scoring position in 18 was 872. And when they had nobody on, it was about 750. So whatever they were doing, it worked. Uh, but, but all in all, is it fair to say the Sox skated a little bit? I mean, it, if they really didn't dive dear, nearly as deep as the Astros did, it makes sense their punishment was far less. Other than a, a video replay guy taking the fall, Cora, front office, everyone else comes off pretty clean here. Yeah, and, and one of the things I've learned in sports writing over the years is that you can rip the team. If I write a column saying, oh, the Red Sox are this, the Red Sox are that, and boo the Red Sox, and how dare they, I can walk into the clubhouse the next day, and no one's going to bat an eyelash. When you, when you aim your, your poison pen, if you will, at individual players and coaches and managers and front office types and so forth. Well, now, now it's the individual that's being called to the carpet. And, and that's when you walk in there the next day and you've got that odd player that'll come running up to you and, hey, you know, how dare you and so forth. Um, so with that in mind, with that philosophy in mind, of course they skated because it, it's – if you Google Boston Red Sox, well, you're going to get that stuff. But if you Google individual players, they're not part of it. And so they can sleep well at night knowing that their individual reputations have not been uh, questioned. And so if you look at it that way, yes, of course they skated. You know, I, I look back, I guess it was 12 years ago when the U.S. housing market crashed and how not a single top executive at any of the major banks went to jail. They got one lone banker somewhere that I think got 30 months because he concealed a, a tiny fraction of his company's losses. But that, that's kind of the comparison some people are making here. The J.T. Watkins is this one lone banker. And if you're to believe Major League Baseball, he acted alone in decoding and relaying signals and you know dave dombrowski didn't know and john henry didn't know the players didn't know so let me have you put your intrepid journalist hat on again is that possible i mean it, it, could that really be true 
Could it be true that it was Watkins alone doing all this? Is that the yeah. question? Yeah. Well, no, that's silly because uh, he, he doesn't have that kind of power. Um, he, he didn't move the video replay room to right behind the dugout. And he didn't on his own. And I don't know him well. I had a pleasant five-minute conversation with him in Fort Myers back in February, walking down a hallway together. And um, we have a couple mutual friends. So uh, when I say I know him, I, I have a vague familiarity with him. And the nicest thing I can say is a very pleasant young man. Uh, that doesn't mean I've done a, you know, an exhaustive investigation into the way he does his job. But I find it hard to believe that this person who hopes to grow and prosper and have a career in baseball would all by himself uh, gather this information and put it under the eyes or in front of the eyes of veteran big league ballplayers. Uh, that just doesn't make sense to me. I think that's that's being very naive. One of your colleagues at The Athletic, who I think is a fascinating writer, too, besides you, Chad Jennings, who always does a nice deep dive. He had a piece, I guess, around this time last week talking about this technology era that we're in and how things are still cloudy. I mean, let's give Major League Baseball a little bit of a stink guy right now and say did you guys really make it clear to everybody what you can and cannot do? What really constitutes cheating? I don't really know the answer to that right now. Yeah, and you can, do, you can draw a parallel with the whole steroids era um, back in the 1980s when uh, th there was really not a whole lot carved in stone dictating what players could and could not do. Retroactively, we go back in time and, you know, say Jacques to this or that player. <laughs> Uh, but we, we certainly didn't know that back then. And to reference Chad's piece, which was very good, which I read, uh, it, it, it takes me back to something I've been saying all along, which is, which is much more general than the specifics that, that, that Chad covered. But my very general belief is that, look, yes, I'm, I'm an old guy who's you know, covered his first game in 1979 and you know, Yaz and all that. And I, and I went to my first game when I was eight, which would be 1964. So I've been around a while. I'm, I'm okay with the modern-day way that teams evaluate and judge talent. I'm okay with metrics. I'm okay with stats that didn't exist three days ago. I have no issue with that. And if, if teams want to hire the best and prettiest out of schools and Stanford and Cornell and Harvard and Yale and so forth and MIT – and give all these individuals fancy titles and computer screens, bring it on. That's great. <laughs> but why don't we collect all that information and, and codify it and do whatever the hell they do with it? And then the game starts. Put away all the computers, put away all the gizmos, put away all the statistics and all that, and let these human beings go out and play baseball. And when I say no gizmos, I mean no replay, no challenges, I know that sounds very cavemanish. Uh, um, no, no checking out stuff in game and video, and I want to go see my last swing. No, you had a whole day to prepare for that. Now let's put all that away and let let eighteen flawed, imperfect human beings and four flawed, imperfect human being umpires go out and play baseball. What common sense? Watch. And be entertained and be pissed off when necessary. Right. 
rather than go home after the game with kind of a glazed over look. I mean, you go back to, you know, showing my age here, but you know, Earl Weaver and Lou Pinot, and even before that, Leo DeRocher and all that. Guys would go nuts out there. And that was this raw human emotion. And we're taking more and more and more of that away from the game. Oh, I'm going to challenge that call. Here's a button. Here's I'm waving. I'm putting my hands to my ears. And the umpires, who they have to do it because it's been mandated by Major League Baseball, they go waddling over to the third base foul line, and some kid comes out with a, you know, a, a little box. And the umpires look bemused, and they've got their hands in their hips. And I'm sitting there watching this, and the challenge is over whether or not the runner sliding in a second base. And, and we've all talked about this. He was clearly safe. There's no doubt that he was safe. But that when his body went across the bag, it's entirely possible that at some juncture, for one sixteenth of a second, he, his, his ankle or his uh, thigh or his hamstring or his finger was lifted off the base. And, of course, the runner, the fielder holds his glove onto the person, the runner's body. And now if we see six different replays in slow action, we can determine that for a split second, the runner lifted his arm off the base. He's out. Is that really what we're after here? Is that, is that really what's going to improve Major League Baseball? I find that laughable and preposterous. Well, and you can extend it, I think, to other sports, too. How many times have we seen lately in basketball, a college basketball game? And, you know, remember those, by the way, uh, going right down to the wire. And yeah. here's a, obviously somebody just hatchets the ball out of bounds. And to everybody, it's very obvious who poked the ball away from whom. But they'll slow it down. It's a Bruder Real style footage here. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right. Find that millimeter where it ticked off the fingernail of the guy that had it slapped away from him and the whole game changes. So uh, I'm with you on that. And, and another one, not to go off on a complete tangent, but, you know, if, if you watch now the, the whole art of a celebration line after a game, it, it seems like about a third of the time you don't know if you can celebrate yet. If a game that yeah. in a fun way, you got to wait. And, and you're right. It removes all the emotion, makes it very, very robotic. Hey, real quick, Buck, before I get back to a couple other things with you, just want to remind our, our listeners here, without well, things like basketball and baseball, uh, obviously we're struggling here as sports people, but uh, we do have to tell you our exclusive partner, Bet Online. they've got hundreds of events still, games, props that you can wager on. They've got their online casino going, poker, blackjack, all of that. They bring Vegas to you. Uh, if you're in entertainment betting, you can still bet on things like Survivor, and Big Brother, and American Idol, and stock prices. I wish they'd include 90 Day Fiance, personally. I'd be in on that big. Uh, everything's open 24 hours a day and all online. Check out the website. Use your mobile device. Join today to receive your new welcome bonus. It's Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Now, I know this is way off topic, but you did such an amazing deep dive on something that is near and dear to my heart, Choosing uniform numbers, going double O to 99, best in Boston history. And you had to actually recently kind of explain yourself on a bunch of these numbers that you did. I thought this was a, a fantastic project. And had you gotten 97% of everybody to, to agree with you, I think that would have been an amazing job. Because Boston has such a rich, deep history in the four major sports there have got to be 10,000 different people who have worn all these numbers. And I get it. Some of them are pretty easy to do. Robert Parrish at double O is pretty easy. But in the middle, 
you had a bunch of decisions to make. So now that you can grade yourself, how did you do? Um, I would say a B plus, and I'm not saying that because I'm all that clever, but because out of those 99 numbers, or 100, if you, 101, I guess, if you count zero and double zero. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, out of those 101 numbers, I'd say about 90 of them were pretty easy. So uh, anybody with a, a laptop could have sat down and, and, and figured out 90 of them. So the question is, the, the 11 that I had to really agonize over. And I think in the follow-up column, I mentioned that people had mentioned to me, oh, you must have really agonized over number 34. Uh, because Paul Pierce wore it, David Ortiz wore it. Well, no, that was easy. Uh, nobody has more respect than I do for Paul Pierce and what he did for the Celtics. He's one of their truly great players. But the Red Sox hadn't won a World Series since 86 years. And then they won four of them. And for three of those World Series, David Ortiz was front and center. He's a vitally important player in the history of Boston sports. And, uh, and so for, for my money, that was actually an easy one. The tough ones were uh, when I was choosing between uh, Tommy Heinsohn and Milt Schmidt, I think at number 15. And I, and it's weird. I don't know why I did this, but sometimes I, I, I based it on championships won, and sometimes I didn't. Well, in this case, like Heinsohn played on eight or nine championship teams. He coached them the two more. And he's, of course, been around forever. This is an iconic uh, sportscaster and ad pitchman and so forth. And, uh, and and that stemmed the tide with Milt Schmidt. Well, a few people whose opinions I respect greatly said, well, where you missed the boat is that you could make the argument at one point, pre or pre-Esposito, pre-Busick and so forth, that Milt Schmidt was the greatest player in Bruins history. It would be him and Eddie Shore, basically. And uh, Tommy Heinsohn, God bless him, could never have made that case because he was playing with with uh, with Bill Russell and Sam Jones and Bob Cousy, and and those are you know he wasn't as great as those were. So, doing a revisitation of that number, I said, okay, I got that one wrong, and and it just it all depends on. I I told people, picture it. You've got a whole bunch of lenses on your desk, and you keep picking up different lenses to look at different players and different numbers and different eras. Well, you pick up one lens and you see a guy this way. You threw through a different lens. Oh, he looks entirely different now. So um, that's the problem you have, and it's a fun problem, by the way. It's uh, it's uh, as I wrote in the piece. These are these are fun arguments to have. This is this gets away from, you know, lawsuits and who got arrested and uh, uh, free agency and salary caps and all that stuff, which I guess is important to sports. But this was just a fun kind of barroom discussion. Well, and that's exactly such a great point, because sports is a candy store. I think we, we lose that when we've got nothing else to be worried about. You know, we, we all have to kind of fill our glass, I think. I don't mean to get all philosophical, but we all need something to be pissed off about all the time. And when sports are actually going on, there's no shortage of, of things like that. Now there's no sports. So we're kind of back to uh, doing the candy store thing because we're pissed off about real important stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, whatever's going on with the pandemic and, and you know, in the White House and everything else. So, uh, you know, the, the fact that we can have this argument about should number 29 have been LeGarrette Blunt or Keith Folk, uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And by the way, I blew that one, too. That, oh. fact, that, was a, that, was a, that was a whopper. Um, 
Well, yeah. only because of the lenses, right? I mean, it, yeah. like you say, if, if you are going to apply the logic you did to, to, to Milt Schmidt and Tommy Heinsohn, then by that logic, I guess, you, you got to do it to, to number 29. Yeah, but, but the, the mistake I made with Blunt was, now you have to understand, it's, it, it's, it's hard to describe how much work that was, the whole thing. And I honestly think that I, I sent them in, and I didn't send the whole piece in at once. I sent, because they wanted to set it up, it has to be uh, formatted, and they had photos and stuff. So one of my editors said, can you send in like every six or seven or 10? As you, I said, sure. And, it, and sometimes I was working on it. it. It took me a week and a half. And sometimes I was working well into the night. And there were some cases where I just got punchy. I was like, my eyes were getting glazed over and I was right. getting tired. And I think that, uh, and I know this for a fact, that one where I clearly made a mistake. It wasn't like, like I screwed up with the Heinz and uh, Milt Schmidt thing. I screwed up with uh, LeGarrette Blunt and Keith Folk. But there was another one where I just, I knew the player I wanted, I just typed the wrong name. And I think it was Vince Wilfork. And I'm trying to think of who I put down. It might have been Ty Warren or somebody. But I meant to write Wilfork. I just simply, it was probably late at night, I was tired, and I just put the wrong name in there. And what was funny about it was the piece was posted at like seven o'clock in the morning. I woke up at 7.30 and I sat up and I, I looked at my phone, like, oh, the piece is up, which I didn't know what time it was going up. And 20 minutes after it gets posted, a, a reader says, oh my God, how could you not have Vince Wilfork? And I <laughs> said to myself, I, I'm so, of course I had Vince Wilfork. And then I looked at it and I, I just, might've been Karis, Ted Karras, I don't think about it. I just screwed up. And, uh, and so I called and I said, hey, make this change. And I sent in a new graph. And it was within six minutes, a correction was made. And I didn't correct the Heinsohn and, um, and Schmidt thing. And I didn't correct Folk and, and Blunt because those are my choices. And I screwed up. And the readers have a right to know to see my mistakes. I did change the will for it simply because that wasn't the intention. I got and, it. Uh, and I applauded the reader uh, in, in my, the reader left a, a comment and then I added my own comment, boy, you're good because this piece is 10,284 words. <laughs> and you got all the way to number, whatever it was, 70, <laughs> 80 something, um, before I'm even out of bed. That's yeah. impressive. Well, that, that's one thing I learned my, my one year of, of doing the Red Sox radio, you can't go five hole on a Boston sports fan. It's impossible that they, they, they yeah. will, I mean, you know, you can't sneak anything by <laughs> period. Which, by the way, is what makes it such a great market in so many ways. Steve Buckley's visiting with us. We got a, just a few more minutes with him. Appreciate his time very much in this time of the pandemic, the time of what I'm calling the great pause. We, and and I, I say that almost kind of wistfully, Buck, because I'm trying to find the good in what we're all going through now. And, and you kind of hit on it. I mean, suddenly now you have time to do a little deep diving. You have time to do some art, to, to write this story on uniform numbers which is total candy store stuff and, and that that's a fun diversion something we all need now anyway so just real quick how are you dealing with what everybody's calling the new normal and i, I hope it's not too normal for too much longer but uh, i guess the, the b side of that not only how are you dealing with it but what are you expecting in terms of when you're writing about real baseball again well personally i'm i have no i have zero complaints because i have my health and i have my job and there are people that 
are missing one or the other or tragically both in some cases. And uh, so to that degree, for me to complain would be kind of silly. Um, and, and I have a I have a good writing environment. I have a nice big office in my house that's designed with that in mind. So and I work out of my house anyway. So um, so there's that. But I, do I miss baseball? Of course I miss baseball. I miss it. Uh, do I miss the NBA and NHL players that should be going on right now? That Those are those are magical times from my business because I don't root anymore. I, you know, this is so hackneyed, but I, I do root for the story and I love seeing the drama unfold. And it's been such a blessing that for 42 years I've gotten to cover that. And since 01, the 01 Patriots, the four teams have combined for 12 championships. And as near as we can figure, there are only five people that have been to all 12 championship games, and I'm one of them. And uh, it was Dan Shaughnessy from The Globe, Mike Lynch from Channel 5, and uh, Jim Davis, who's a photographer at The Globe, and uh, you know, and a few others. And uh, to, to be in that crowd, to see this, to see this history unfold has been great, and I want to see more of that. Now, to your second question is, when will we see that? My, my hunch and it may just be a hunch because it's not based on any inside information, is that I'd be surprised if we had any kind of NHL or NBA season uh, resumed for the 1920 season, simply because I think we're running out of time. I think there's still time to resurrect some form of the 2020 baseball season with all the things we're talking about, be it playing the, you know, the, the two leagues would become the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League for 2020. Um, playing in the spring training venues and so forth and the Tropicana Field and the, the, uh, the ballpark in Phoenix. I think that's possible uh, with no fans. It's, 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 uh, it's going to rob us of those you know, fun nights at, the, at Fenway with Josh Kanner at the Oregon and Wally the Green Monster and all the accoutrements that make Major League Baseball so much fun. And I, I'd miss that. But if a stepping stone to the resumption of baseball as we know it is a, a doctored season for 2020. I'm all in favor of it, and I hope it happens. Yeah, well, I couldn't have said that any better. Hey, one of the things before I let you go, when you talk about the organic things that pop up during, for example, a, a random baseball game, you had the, the great follow-up, and I, I cannot recommend this enough. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, uh, this is the kind of stuff you get there, and this is why it's such a great idea to, to have this. But... The K-Card guy, having <laughs> missed the 20-strikeout game for Rocket. Uh, Rich Barnett is the guy's name, uh, and as the 20-strikeout game unfolded, he wasn't there, I guess, until his mom became part of the story. I never would have known anything about this. Can you give me a, a little bit on that story that you wrote last week and just kind of uh, wet people's whistles a little bit for, uh, for the big story that you did in The Athletic? Yeah, thanks. And I, I love doing that piece. And uh, a few people commented like, oh, wow, how did you ever track this guy down? Well, easy there. I, uh, the uh, Jen McCaffrey from The Athletic wrote a um, what we call distant replay on Clemens's 20 strikeout game in 86. And this guy, Rich Barnett, posted a, a comment because Jen mentioned that the K guy showed up late. And that K guy was Rich Barnett. He left a comment. So that was me. And yeah, it was a lot of fun and so forth. So uh, we were able to track him down and I got him on the phone, obviously, because you can't meet people anymore. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and and he told me the entire story. 
and I was able to get the game, which is on YouTube, and rewatch the game and some of the specific points that he mentioned, and took some of the uh, commentary from Ned Martin and Bob Montgomery about the sixth inning. They said, oh, that K guy is going to be kicking himself tomorrow. Well, he was at home. The other two guys were away at school. His brother was at Johns Hopkins. The other guy was out at Michigan. And he was kind of all by himself. He just graduated from Brandeis. And it was cold and rainy and, you know, whatever. And the Celtics playoff game was on. So he didn't go. And as the strikeouts began to pile up, and then his name was mentioned on TV, he recognizes that this could be a historic moment. And he gathered up his K cards in the garage. He asked his mother to drop him off at Fenway because he wasn't sure about finding a parking space. He found a security guard outside, showed him his Ks. I have to be there. And the guy let him in. He couldn't get out to the bleachers uh, because in those days you couldn't go from section to section that way. And he gave the guy 10 bucks to let him through. And all of a sudden he starts putting his K cards up and the place you know, starts to applaud Ned Martin and Bob Montgomery make mention of it on Nesson. And, uh, and then when it all ended, there he was. And it was a magical moment. And it was enormously fun for me to write that story. And I emailed Roger about it. He emailed me right back. He was excited about it. He read the piece. He loved it. And, um, and, and again, it, it's the kind of piece. I think that piece I might have been able to do anyway with the Celtics and Bruins and the Red Sox all playing at once. The numbers thing, maybe not so much, but um, listen, we've got to come up with content. That's what you're doing. Uh, we've got to continue to come up with content uh, for sports fans who don't have games to watch. And uh, that was a case where we could look at something through, through you know, twist the box a little and look at it a different way. And that was a really fun story. Well, and that's exactly, again, you know, whereas we all need distractions now and content. I mean, you know, it used to be that you were a content volcano anyway. And then now, uh, you know, it's like there's a cork in everybody's volcano. So you, you got to find inventive ways to do some things. That right there, that was journalism at its finest, even though it found you, you didn't find it in this one. I get it. But you wrote it beautifully. It was fun. That's the kind of stuff you always get from Buck and, and you have for a lot of years now. So. Uh, Steve, I, I kept you way longer than I meant to, but thank you very much for doing this. And hopefully, happily, we will all be in front of each other sometime soon. Until then, uh, keep doing what you're doing in the candy store, my friend. It's a fun read, and, and uh, God bless you. One one tiny correction. I think I kept you longer than you wanted, so that's that's the way <laughs> I get it. So. Well, you, but you know what, though, and, and I, I swear I'm going to let you go here. You you may or may not be aware I've been pimping this side hustle that I've got going now. Uh, we came up with this podcast to get us through these times uh, called the Throwback League, where it's all the World Series winners from basically our nostalgia era. I'm talking mid-70s to mid-double-O's and throw in a bunch of the, the also-rans in there, seated all the teams, playing the games and announcing them, just going into my studio and pretending that the uh, 87 twins are up against the, the 74 A's or whatever. And it's been so much fun to just invent and create and do. And the feedback that I'm getting, I hope it's similar to, to yours on some of these pieces that, that you've started in on. It's kind of like, you know, there's nothing else going on. So, you know, wh whatever you guys can invent, we're cool with. And uh, I, I kind of like that challenge. So I think we're kindred spirits on that. And don't forget that old Massachusetts double play combination, the 87 Twins of Greg Gagne at shortstop and Steve Lombardozzi at second. 
See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, well played. Buck, have a wonderful rest of your week. And uh, to everybody who tuned in today, please keep on doing that. We'll try to keep you relatively amused as we all get through this together. Red Sox beat. That's the name of the pod. I'm Josh Lewin. He was Steve Buckley. Take care.